Well, hello once again, and thank you so much for joining us for this Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Voorst. I'm your host for the show and one of the pastors at Life Church. And we are delighted to have you with us as we continue in our series called The Code. Uh, if you're a newer listener to us, uh, this is a great time for you to check in and kind of find out a little bit more about who we are at Life Church. Uh, specifically, we say uh, we, we talk about the code uh, because it gives us meaning to who we've been, purpose to what we're doing, and drives us toward who we're becoming. And uh, so this is a great time to be listening in. Uh, we are halfway through our code series. I'm going to be giving a message on the code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Uh, also, if you're a first-time listener, or second time, or third time, uh, but you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do so so that you can stay up to date on our regular podcasts. Uh, every once in a while, we do some other things. I work with uh, Roger, our youth director, and we talk about the current state of youth ministry and uh, things that, are, that our youth are thinking about and experiencing as well. Uh, so I encourage you to check out some of those. Um, also, if you'd like to invest in the work that we're, get, we're getting to be a part of here at Life Church, you want to give to Life Church, I would invite you to do so as well. Uh, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org/give and find out how your giving makes an impact, as well as information on how you can actually go ahead and give. Now, enjoy the sermon. Welcome. We are glad you're here. Is is this, there must be something going on? Like, did Michigan get a win or something like that that I didn't know about? All right. Well, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Whether you're a Michigan fan or not a sports fan at all, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Life Church. And if you are watching online, we're glad you're joining us as well. Uh, for everybody in the room, you have a connect card on your chair. We would love for you to fill that out, turn it in in the welcome center at the lobby so that we can help you take next steps. For those of you watching online, you can do the same, but uh, by clicking on the links that are available in the comments section to you. Uh, we are in a series called The Code. So if you're new here, you're coming at a perfect time. Even if you're not new, uh, this is a good reminder for us to talk about kind of who we have been, who we are, who we're becoming. Uh, one of the things that we say is our code gives us meaning to who we've been, purpose to what we're doing now, and drives us toward who we're becoming. And so the first few weeks, we've talked about a couple of codes. We're counting down. The first week was you belong. And so when you have a sense of belonging, regardless of your background or who you are or what you're coming out of, or whatever your circumstances are, you belong. Because God creates a sense of belonging. And when you belong, you have this ability, this awareness to be able to encounter Jesus, to see him clearly for who he really is. And when you see Jesus clearly, everything changes. It transforms your heart. It transforms the way you think. And you can't help but want to participate in the same work that Jesus is doing. And so we moved into the next week where we talked about relentless pursuit of one more. You just go after people to show them and to share with them the love of God. You can't help but do it. Now, here's the thing. When you relentlessly pursue other people, you quickly find out that life is not always all that convenient, right? It's not always comfortable, and so you have to also adapt or adopt a new mentality uh, for how you live into this life that Jesus has called us to. And so we call that whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. You center your entire life around this countercultural mission of Jesus that he invites us to. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today is this code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Now, I don't know how you're feeling in the room right now, or if you're newer to this church, newer to the Bible, but you hear these phrases like relentless pursuit of one more, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. They sound extreme, right? 
oh, it sounds almost a little bit hyperbolic even. Like, this is, this is huge. This is big. Why are these phrases so bold? And there's a reason for that. And that is because all throughout the New Testament, we see something that one of the New Testament writers later calls spiritual warfare. There, there is warfare all around them. There is warfare all around us. And not just physical war, there certainly is that as well, but there is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war that is going on in our world. And so our response to that cannot be passive, cannot just be relaxed. We engage in the spiritual warfare that manifests itself in a variety of different ways, whether it's self-indulgence or temptation or greed or consumerism or abusive power or bigotry or even sickness and death itself. Our response to that cannot be passive. That's why we relentlessly pursue one more. That's why we do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And so we're going to be looking at a story in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 to 20, that embodies this code. If you don't have a Bible, that's entirely okay. We will have those words on the screen so you can follow along as well. Now, I do need to say this because I'm going to use this phrase a little bit throughout the message. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, is one of the longest codes. It's, it takes up the most room on the board over there. It takes long to say. And so on staff, over the last couple of years, we have affectionately referred to whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, as witwitu. Okay? So I, I didn't just speak in tongues. I don't need an interpreter to come up on stage and say what I said. I'm not quoting Greek or Hebrew. I am just making up an acronym uh, to make it a little bit easier to say. And I'm actually going to use it intentionally throughout the message. That'll make sense in just a second. Go to Acts chapter 14 with me, if you will. We're going to look at the story uh, of the early church, two individuals from the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 8. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He'd been that way from birth, so he'd never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, and looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, Stand up! And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. So we have a healing taking place. If you are somewhat familiar with the New Testament, with the Bible, you, you see this a lot. You see a lot of healing. Uh, it could be for any number of reasons. Uh, it could be healing from a certain kind of sickness or ailment or sometimes demon possession, right? Just talked about spiritual warfare. It could be demon possession. There is healing that is often taking place, not just with Jesus, but then eventually with the early church as well. And this is a countercultural activity that they would engage in. Let me explain. Uh, for the people in this world, specifically Greco-Roman people in that culture, uh, they were constantly sick and dealing with various things, but the reason for that, they had to come up with a reason why that was the case, and their understanding was, if you were sick, it was because the gods that they believed in, the Greco-Roman gods, were angry with you somehow. So, so if you were sick, you were demon-possessed, you deserved it. You were owed that for some reason because you upset the gods in some way. That was their understanding. Now, if you were associated with a person who was sick or demon-possessed, uh, you would want to distance yourself from them because you too uh, might then become sick or you too might become sort of a victim of the angry gods in that culture. So you would distance yourself. So oftentimes, whenever we see sick people, demon-possessed people in the New Testament, they are often completely by themselves. They're neglected by their entire community. So for Jesus, and subsequently the early church, to come alongside and interact with sick people, demon-possessed people, and heal them was absolutely an act of compassion, but it was also an act of resistance to the culture, to the empire at the time. So this is a huge deal. Paul and Barnabas have healed this man, 
and it's a big deal. Now, here's the thing. Uh, sometimes we wait till the very end to give some takeaways, some action steps. I want to weave those in and throughout the message for today. What I want us to say or to hear today when, with regards to this code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, is Paul and Barnabas recognize their whatever. Their whatever. Whatever, in this case, was a man with crippled feet who had a need. We have whatevers all around us. It could be healing, but it could be all different kinds of things. They recognize the whatever, but also what sticks out to me is that Paul looks at the man and notices it. He's preaching at the time, but he stops preaching, and then he goes and he heals this man. So, in other words, what that requires is that we have to look outside of ourselves. I would say it this way, that witwitu is not about you. Witwitu is not about you. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, is not just about me or about you or about what we're doing, but we look outside of ourselves. We have to open our eyes to see whatever the whatever is and then engage in that need. Let's see what happens by looking at the next part of the story. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, These men are gods in human form. They decided that Paul and Barnabas, or sorry, they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the priests of the temple and the crowd uh, brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. That's cool. All right, that's great. This is kind of an interesting response, but this is what they do. They're, they're super happy that Paul and Barnabas have just healed this man, and so they feel like it's necessary to warrant a, uh, an appropriate response by going to the local temple and getting bowls and wreaths of flowers and bringing that and sacrificing it to these men. This is kind of odd behavior, but again, this is a religious culture, and so it makes sense that they would divinize Paul and Barnabas. And part of the reason they would do that too is because if in fact Paul and Barnabas are Zeus and Hermes, then they don't want to be caught not giving the appropriate amount of praise and worship and sacrifice to these men. So, so they're doing what is expected in that culture. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul and Barnabas in this moment, I'm like, no, no, stop, stop. Yeah, no, stop. Like, I'm taking it all in. Like, yeah, this is great, of course. In fact, they're probably thinking, like, yeah, I just did my whatever. I just took care of my whatever in the witwitu. So, yeah, of course, you better recognize I just healed this man. Y'all owe me, right? That's what I'm thinking. Now, it's normal that I would think that because I've been groomed by this culture. I've been groomed by American culture. So, how we understand whatever it takes in our culture, is actually not a foreign concept. We have something in our culture called hustle culture. You got to hustle. You got to go get yours. You got to do whatever it takes, right? You're not going to be productive or successful if you don't dedicate every single second, every single minute to becoming the best at whatever it is that you do, whatever it takes. Hustle culture, that is not foreign to us. But the difference is, is on the other side of that hustle culture, that version of whatever it takes, is usually some kind of reward. It could be fame or recognition, it could be sex, it could be money, it could be some kind of accolade to you. So you do whatever it takes so that you get something in return. That's how we understand it in our culture. Is that the way of Jesus? Is that the way of the early church? Is that how they understand whatever it takes. Is there a reward on the other side of this? Well, let's see what Paul and Barnabas do in response. 
When, Paul, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. Also a weird change of events here. Tearing their clothes. We feel like we have to get nude to tell you that this is not okay. Like this is, this is bizarre behavior. I thought at first the bowls and the wreaths of flowers and the sacrifices, that that was a little strange. Now we've got Paul and Barnabas taking their clothes off. And that's a little strange too. What in the world is going on here? Again, ancient cultural context is helpful. This is a, this is a normal act of behavior to tear your clothes in grief. You could read about this in some places in the Old Testament as well. They would shave their heads and tear off their clothes to show repentance. What they're doing is to show their dismay, their, their frustration, their grief at what has become of this situation. They're frustrated by this. And they want to go out of their way to express this grandiose grief. We're merely human. They recognize, in a sense, if you will, Witwitu is not about you. They recognize it is not about them. They say, no, no, we're merely human. We are not the gods that you think we are. Do not do what you're doing. Don't give us this praise and worship. That's not necessary. We're merely human. Here's the thing. We don't do whatever it takes to get more fame, to get more recognition, to increase our network so that that'll later benefit my business or my bottom line. That's where we draw the line between our culture's version of whatever it takes and hustle culture versus the way of Jesus and the way of the early church. Paul and Barnabas, they heal this man, not for their own gain, but simply because they're copying the behavior and the activity of Jesus. They can't help but do what Jesus did. And, and healing is a big deal, but it's just a small glimpse. It's just a tiny taste of what ultimately God wants to put on display for all of creation, to bring all of creation into wholeness and restoration and renewal. It's what the Jewish people refer to as shalom. They wanted this for all of creation. The healing was just a microcosm of that. And they were, they were happy to participate in the flow of what God is doing. We're merely human. What comes next? Paul continues to speak. He says, we've come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. Paul shares good news with him. We actually get, literally, the word good news in here, which is the Greek word euangelion, which we translate to gospel. Paul shares the gospel with these men talks about God. He talks about his goodness. Did you notice, though, that anything was missing in his gospel? It doesn't say anything about Jesus. It doesn't say anything about sin or salvation or going to heaven or anything like that. Did you notice that? What's going on with that? How is this good news if he doesn't say all of those things? Instead, what Paul does is he simply takes their understanding of the divine world, which, again, they were very religious. They believed Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. They're religious people. They're spiritual people, right? But he doesn't scold them. He doesn't kind of make fun of them or scoff at them. Instead, he takes their current understanding of the divine world, 
and he tweaks it, he adjusts it, he speaks to them in a context that they would understand, and he gives them a fuller, richer, deeper understanding of the divine world and of actually who God is, and specifically in this case, the God of creation who is good, who is provident, who is with you. This is what he does, but he does that all without saying anything about Jesus or salvation. Here's the reason why I'm pointing that out, is in my 15, 16 years of being a pastor, I have heard from all different kinds of people who would come up to me and say, Jared, you have to share the gospel, and there is only one way to share the gospel with people. There's one way to do it. You have to say uh, that you have to take them through Romans. You have to let them know that all have sinned. You're a sinner, and you're going to go to hell, but if you confess in Jesus, then when you die, you get to go to heaven as long as you pray this formulaic prayer. That's what gospel has been reduced to uh, for people, a lot of people in our American evangelical context. And so people will come up to me, and if I didn't say any of those things, they will tell me, like, Jared, you didn't, you didn't share the gospel. You didn't say anything about any of those things. So you didn't share the gospel. Well, Paul and Barnabas apparently didn't either. Even though it literally says good news, it says the word gospel in it. And all they did was talk about the God of creation, who's provident, who's faithful, who's good, who gives them joy. So you think the problem is, is we have reduced our American evangelical gospel into, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, so pray this formulaic prayer so that you can go to heaven when you die. That's it. That's what gospel has been reduced to. When in reality, the gospel is so much deeper, so much richer than just that. In fact, we did a six-week series on it last year about this time called Sticking to the Gospel. It took us six weeks to define what we actually mean and what Scripture actually means when it comes to the the Gospel, not just some reduced-down, where-you-go-when-you-die kind of concept. See, if Witwitu is not about you, then it means that we have to adjust what is convenient to us, what is familiar to us. Paul has to change his language to meet the need of the community that he's engaging with. He doesn't just have this formulaic, systematized way of talking to people about Jesus. No, he actually talks about the God of creation and God's goodness and faithfulness and providence. He adjusts what's familiar to him in order to meet the need of those he's engaging with. The whatever or the whomever the need is. Sometimes we have to change our activity. We have to change our language to fit somebody else's understanding. In fact, just the other day, I was at the grocery store getting groceries, and I saw this man walking around talking to multiple people. And then as I got a little bit closer, I found out that he was sharing Jesus, essentially, with people. And he was reading from a little script that he had, which a lot of people refer to as gospel tracks. And that's fine, whatever. In fact, I give him bonus points, I guess, for relentlessly pursuing one more. But there was one moment where he was talking to a woman who didn't speak English. And he just continued to talk and speak English from his little gospel tract. And she was trying to get his attention and say, no, 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 no no English. And, And he just kept talking, looking at his little tract, his script. Again, like, yes, trying to relentlessly pursue one more, but that, talk about not knowing your audience. Which we too is not about you. It's not about your formula. It's not about your model. That was more about his model than it was about meeting the need of that person who may have already known God, but he wouldn't know it, right? It's not about you. It's not about me. We have to adjust 
our language. We have to adjust our activity in order to meet the needs of the people. So after Paul communicates this good news that he has adjusted for his community, how do they respond? Verse 18, but even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. They didn't care. They're like, no, 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 take our praise and worship, take our bowls, take our wreaths of flowers, take it all. We want to sacrifice to you. They could not restrain the Greeks from doing this. So you think human nature has a distorted and perverted sense of justice. What I mean by that is that we, we feel like something is owed here. If something good has happened to you, well, you have to earn that in a sense. You have to pay back. This man earlier in the story was healed. Well, that, that can't just come out of nowhere, right? Like in their transactional understanding of the gods, they have to pay back. Something is owed. Something was earned here. I can't just get this for free. And we might think, well, that's an ancient, primitive, tribalistic culture. Of course, they would behave that way because their transactional understanding of the gods. We are no different. We are absolutely no different. We are very transactional in the way that we behave. We have a hard time with gifts. We have a hard time receiving gifts. How many of you, if somebody does something nice for you, you immediately think, oh, shoot, I didn't get them a gift. Oh, oh I, I should probably Venmo them or PayPal them. Some, like, I, I can't just accept this. Like, I could, I could never do that. Even at Christmas time, like, somebody gets you a nice gift and you weren't planning to get them a gift, you immediately think about yourself first and what you're going to do for them as opposed to just enjoying the gift that was given to you. You're the same way in this culture. And we project that mentality onto God. Oh, God, I, I could never accept. I've been too bad. I've done these things. I could never accept your gift of grace. Here's the thing. Witwitu is not about you on one hand, but on the other hand, Witwitu is about you in the way that you receive the Witwitu of God. Jesus is the embodiment of doing whatever it takes and going wherever it took him. And it took him to his death on a cross so that you and I could experience his grace and his goodness and the joy that comes with eternal life. Absolutely. Not eternal life that just happens after we die, but that starts today. Resurrection life starts right now. We live into that right now. I could never accept that. If we have a hard time receiving the witwitu of God, then we're actually going to be having a really hard time living into the code of doing whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, for somebody else. Because we will always secretly feel and think, well, they're going to have to owe me someday. Because when we're on the receiving end, we think we owe them. Witwitu is about you. And we will only live this out to the extent that we have received Jesus' witwitu. Otherwise, we're going to live in a perpetual state of transaction. Something is owed and something is earned. And this is how they behave. Even though Paul and Barnabas have tried to change their minds to say, no, 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 you don't have to do this. They keep on doing it. What happens? Well, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. I'm sorry, what? That was a strange turn of events. This is really weird. They go from, no, we worship you, Zeus and Hermes, we praise you, to we're going to kill you. That's a weird change of events here, right? 
They stoned him. Now, they didn't just pass him a joint and say, hey, let's get high. No, they picked up rocks and tried to murder him. They run him out of town. They try to kill him. What in the world happened? How did they get to this point? How did they go from divinizing them on one hand to now all of a sudden demonizing them on another? All we know is that some Jewish people arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. I, I don't know what happened, what they said. I don't know what these Jewish people's, uh, what this group of people did to, to convince them or what they felt like was necessary to change their minds. Perhaps they were maybe affirming this transactional understanding of God. Uh, we, we talked about that in our summer series. Do you have to do something to earn God's praise and favor? I, I don't know. Whatever it is that they did, whatever they said to these people, it was enough to anger them to want to kill Paul. They want to take his life. So they pick up giant rocks, throw them, throw them at him, hoping for him to die, and then they drag him outside the city. Here's the thing. Which with two is about you in that it will impact you. It's going to have an impact on you to the extent that something might be taken from you, whatever it takes. Something might be taken from you, stolen from you, lost. And in this case, it was Paul's life. They try to take Paul's life from him. For us, if we engage in this code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, we might get something taken from us. We might lose something. We might have something stolen from us. It might be our reputation, our health, our relationships, our money, our status. And that is painful. Especially when you initially step into the reality of this code. So why would we do it? Why do it if it's painful? Why do it if it's hard? If it's going to be that hard, that extreme, that hyperbolic, then just forget about it, right? Except, except that there's another code that we talked about. When you encounter Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. You can't unsee certain things. You can't undo, you can't not participate in the work that God is doing, this countercultural work that Jesus has invited us into, this mission of the church. You can't help but want to do a part of it. An encounter with Jesus, after you see him clearly for who he really is, everything else becomes secondary. All of the other things, fame, success, health, relationships, money, it doesn't matter anymore. It's all his anyway. All of the fame, all of the glory, all of it is due to God. We're going to get to that driven by new life, but I don't want to go too far. Here's the thing. Paul had this mentality, which is why it empowered him to live out this life, to do the relentless pursuit of one more, to have this mentality of whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And he talks about that to another church in Philippi. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. What things? His status, his recognition, his notoriety. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Sounds like encounter Jesus, doesn't it? For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. The King James Version has a different word. I can't say it in church right now. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
A couple verses later, he says this, I want to know Christ, right? I want to experience, I want to encounter Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Paul believes in resurrection power. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the next sentence. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. That's, a, that's an extreme mentality. It's not, I want to experience the power of his resurrection, which means I might encounter some challenges along the way. No, no, no. I want to step into suffering. I want to suffer with him in his death. I'm proactively, intentionally looking for ways to join with Christ in whatever way possible. This has to embolden Paul in his mission in the early church, and this is what he does. And for that, they stone him. They try to kill him. They drag him outside of the town. Yeah, some things are taken from us, and at first, it is hard to engage with that. Sometimes when we feel like we need to give something away, it's hard, it's painful, and we hold it with, a, with kind of a tight fist of like, I know I should be doing this, and so it's hard, and it's painful, and I'm going to feel it, whether it's our finances, whether it's opening up our home, whether it's giving away possessions, whatever it is, we give that away, and it's hard at first, but then over time, as we continue to encounter Christ, it becomes less of a closed-fisted kind of relationship with our things, and with our money, and with our stuff, and with our possessions, and then it becomes, well, of course I would give this away. It's an open-handed effort. It's like, of course I would give this away. None of this is mine anyway. I'm just a steward of these things. Of course, there's a need. I'm going to meet it. If I can, I'm going to meet it. And this is Paul's mentality. The story doesn't end there. Look at verse 20. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up. He got up. And he went back into the town. And then the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. He went back to the murderers in Lystra. He goes back there. I don't know if this is like a, a Monty Python kind of thing. Like, I'm not dead yet. It's merely a flesh wound. Like, like, what in the world is going on? Like, he just gets up after getting stoned by these giant rocks. And he's like, yep, I'm going to go back there. Why? Why would he go back there? I don't know, if it is, did he forget something? Is he like, uh, like, oh, actually, when I was sharing the gospel, I, I still wanted to talk about Jesus, so maybe I will go back there and tell them a little bit more about that. Like, he goes back. We don't know why. We can imagine his mentality. It's probably sort of a, a wit with two mentality. It's not about him. He goes back. Is this Paul's, like, willpower? Is he just kind of some superhuman figure? Like, what in the world is going back? Here's the thing that we have to pay attention to. It says, as the believers gathered around him, then he gets back up. This isn't about Paul. This isn't about him being some kind of superhuman, heroic figure. The community comes around him and supports him. I don't know what they're doing. I, I, you know, maybe they're praying over him and asking the Holy Spirit to give him the ability to get up. I, I don't know if they're just bandaging his wounds, perhaps. But whatever it is, it was enough to encourage, to support Paul in his effort. That's because Witwitu is not just about me, not just about you, and yet sometimes it is but it's about all of us. Witwitu is about us. 
and the community and the presence of the Holy Spirit and not trying to do this thing alone, not trying to be some kind of hero or some kind of celebrity ministry figure. It's not about that. And that is actually what emboldens Paul to go back to this community who tried to murder him. And here's the thing. He didn't just go and like get his things or like share one last message and then peace out. No, he, he doesn't leave until the next day. So that could mean any number of things. Maybe somebody actually brought him in. Maybe he wanted to go back and be like, no, 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 you don't understand. I know I look a little disfigured right now and you know, all of you had a part in that, but here's the thing, I don't, I don't hold it against you. I forgive you. And Jesus forgives you and God loves you. Maybe that's what he did. And it was enough to allow, maybe somebody brought him in and he stayed with them. Or maybe he stayed in the streets. Doesn't really matter at this point. But we know that the next day, he doesn't leave until the next day to go to another city and to do it all over again. If that isn't witwitu, if that isn't whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, I don't know what it is. And he goes back. Where? Wherever it takes him. Wherever there is a need, wherever there is more danger and warfare, that's what he goes back to. I asked at the beginning, will you engage in the warfare? Because it's all around you. If we try to not see it, to not see that there is spiritual warfare, because it is unseen in some regards, it does manifest itself in some physical ways, but if we try to unsee it, we're just going to live in denial. Will we engage in the warfare? Will we do whatever it takes and go wherever it takes us? That wherever could look a lot of different ways. When it's about us, all of us coming together, what we recognize is that the wherever is everywhere. It's our school, it's our neighborhood, it's our place of work. There are needs all around. So what do we do? I want to give you some practical action steps. I want to restate some of the things that are already stated. Number one, Witwitu is not about you, which means we have to open our eyes and choose to look at the needs in our community. And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to open your eyes, your neighborhood, your school, your place of work, and I want you to look and see what is there, is there a physical need that you can meet? and then meet that need. And secondly, that might require you to adjust, adjust your language, adjust your activity in order to meet the need of that person, not so that you can check something off a list for yourself, because Witwitu is not about you. Number two, Witwitu is about you, in the sense that it is important you understand how to be on the receiving end of this first and foremost, so that you can extend the witwitu of Jesus to others without being beholden to some kind of transaction, to some kind of idea that they owe me, you owe me. Witwitu is about you, and you will only engage in witwitu to the extent that you receive the witwitu of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. What I want you to do today, if you can, is to come forward and receive prayer. There will be prayer, our prayer team people will be down here front. Come forward, receive prayer. If you have never received the grace of God, or you have a hard time receiving the grace of God, come forward for prayer. I'll give you an opportunity to maybe even just pray that in your own heart right now.
And then lastly, Witwitu is about us. It's about all of us. It's about us adopting a new mentality that we become generous people, that everything that we have been given has been given to us from God, and so we give it back to the community. Witwitu is about us, which means we give in this community. We give, and then we live into generosity beyond. In fact, all of this, this code series, is leading toward partnership. We're going to invite you at the end of this series to become a partner. And if you become a partner, one of the commitments that we attach specifically to this code is we want to invite you to tithe, to give 10% of your income to the local church and then grow in generosity beyond. That sounds really weird and hard. That sounds really challenging. But it is countercultural to the way that we have been groomed. Because we don't keep it all for ourselves and hoard it for ourselves. What we do is Witwitu is all about us. And it changes the community when we give to one another. If you want to give today, I want to invite you, maybe if you're doing that for the first time, you can do that online or you can give something physical in the black boxes on your way out. But we do this so that the whole community can be transformed. I mentioned that some of you have a hard time being on the receiving end of God's grace. That God in Christ would do whatever it takes and go wherever it takes him so that you can experience true life. You can experience that today. You can encounter Jesus today. Come forward even now as I'm talking and get prayer. Get prayer uh, right now. And I'll be down there in just a second as well. And then we're also going to worship together in response to who God is and what God is doing in our midst. But don't leave this time without receiving the whatever it takes, wherever it takes us of Jesus. If you want to do that right now, I invite you to stand and I want to pray with you. God, we recognize, this is Paul said, there are worthless things in our lives that we need to turn from. And it said, turn to the living God. Turn to you. Just like those ancient people, we scramble to try to offer up some kind of payment, try to make you happy with us, try to please ourselves. We offer up sacrifices. We have weird versions of praise and worship that elevate ourselves. Instead, we just need to recognize that it's you who is with us, who has created us, who continues to be good and faithful to us, and we want to experience your joy. And so today, I want to say yes to you, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to follow your way. give my life to you. Well, thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, I've just been thinking, and I wish I could go into more detail about uh, that part of the message where you think about how far should we take this code, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. And then we have to look at the standard. And that standard is Jesus. And um, 
He's willing to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, literally, where his life is taken from him, his friends are taken from him. He goes all the way to the cross. He is beaten, battered, bruised. He's killed um, for the sake of love, for the sake of grace and mercy, um, so that we can experience forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if you would like to say yes to that, um, you want to receive Jesus's whatever it takes, wherever it takes him, receive his grace and his mercy and commit your life to him. We'd love to know that you did that and we'd love to walk alongside you um, as you as you make that journey. So if you did decide to do that, go ahead and let us know by filling out the connect card. You can do that by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash now and at the top of the page is a connect card. You can fill that out. Um, let us know that you made a decision to follow Jesus. Um, and then you can also use that card for any other way of getting connected with us as well. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you back here soon.